Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. With your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. I am your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host this week, Jen Scott's here. Hello. Jen's been here before. You all know Jen. She's my co-host on a podcast called Trend Pony. She is a comedian. Deal with it. Deal with it. You know me. You love me. You you message me weird shit. Love you. <laughs> we are doing a bonus episode. And by that, I mean, we're just covering more like an episode of television as opposed to a whole documentary we're covering season one episode seven of the confession tapes it's an episode called down river this is one of my favorite true crime documentary series because it was not what i expected it to be for sure yeah it's mostly about how the police are bad in which i love and i did not get that from the jump and i'm glad that it was that yeah It covers the case of a guy named Lawrence Delisle, who was accused of intentionally killing his four children by driving the family station wagon into a river. That happened on August 3rd, 1989. That would be such a risky way to just kill your children. Yeah, like that's, that's such a kill us all, including me vibe. Yeah, and... In that case, I feel like you wouldn't be trying to escape after. I mean, I, I guess unless you hit the water and we're like, oof, I regret this. Let me get out mm. of here. But we'll, we'll get to all that. Yeah. This is a, it's, it's a weird crime. What did you think of the witness to this? The woman who describes herself as one half of the Snoop sisters, Beverly Lake. They, oh, I, I mean, if you're identifying as the Snoop sisters... <laughs> I don't know. I think she was a nosy random lady. Yeah, this is a good, really early example of a couple things we see a whole lot with true crime, which is one, trial by media. We'll get to that part later, but this is definitely a very early example of that. But also, Beverly Lake, one half of the Snoop sisters, is that armchair detective amateur sleuth that... We see so much now, especially on the internet. That person who's like, listen, not to brag, but I solve crimes by looking out my window. I do my own research. Yeah. And she at one point says, well, my husband even said, you know, you're going to witness a murder someday. And like, tell me that didn't influence Beverly Lake's testimony. Yeah. She was out here looking for murders. Yeah. And it probably did look like a pretty damning incident from her vantage point because she was like on the top floor of an apartment building out on the balcony and what happens is Lawrence Delisle and his wife Suzanne and their four kids they go out for ice cream and after they have ice cream the daughter is like can we go down to the river and look at the boats like we did last night and that somehow becomes one of the things that they decide is suspicious the fact that this family living in the small suburb of Detroit, where there's probably not a ton going on, decided definitely to, not <laughs> decided to take their kids to the river to look at boats two nights in a row. That, That's and especially like uh, they also talked about that they went to go get ice cream. Yeah, and they were like, 
just out doing it. I feel like I had so many nights like this as a suburban kid in the Midwest where your parents are just driving you around because there's nothing to fucking do. And they're like, we need to get out of the house. Yeah. It was like hot. They probably didn't have air conditioning. Like you get out. Absolutely. An ice cream kind of night. Yeah. And so that they decide that part's suspicious, which is weird, but they get ice cream. They go down to look at the boats. There's no boats this night. So they go to leave. They stop at a store. And then when they leave that store, Lawrence Delisle like misjudges his turn. And instead of going the way he's supposed to go, he ends up heading toward the river. And I'll admit, just on the surface, his description of what happens, I I get that it sounds a little suspect. What he claims happened is he was having trouble with his leg and his leg cramped up. And when his leg cramped up, he, it like, unintentionally kind of mashed down on the accelerator. But when he took his foot off the accelerator, it kept accelerating. Like the accelerator was stuck. Mm -hmm. And he's like, from there, we just kind of panicked. And next thing I know, we were airborne and going into the river. And what really confused me about this part, though, is like, that's what brakes are for. Right. But he had one of the things that they use against him is this idea that he had like seven seconds where he could have like put the car in neutral. He could have turned the wheel. He could have hit the brakes. Yeah. But he panicked. Yeah. That's, that's such a panic situation where you're like, why? That's also kind of a long time though. I do agree. Seven seconds is kind of long. Yes. The way I'd be hitting everything in that car. But he was like his thought. And he says this time and time again, when they're interrogating him, his thought was, oh, there's something stuck that's holding the accelerator down. And that was just like his first course of action was, oh, well, let me get that unstuck. So that's going to kill a few seconds before you're like, all right, well, actually, no, maybe I can just like apply the brakes or turn the wheel or something. Mm-hmm. Like it really is such a snap decision you would have to make. And either way, what really kind of condemns Lawrence Delisle is the interview he gives with his wife shortly after this happens. And people will just have to watch the documentary for themselves and you be the judge. But people who watched it and the media who were conducting the interview, that's the crazy part. Like in real time, while this family is dealing with the death of their four kids, they have reporters standing in front of them who are like, why aren't you more sad right now? Like, why aren't, why aren't you as sad so as weird. I think I would be right now? Did you kill your kids? And they're like badgering them with these questions. And what we find out pretty early on, they were on Valium. He, he was prescribed Valium after his kids died. And anyone who's ever taken Valium can attest, because I've taken it, that it makes you just kind of a zombie. Like, mm-hmm. it really puts them emotions on hold and there's not yeah it's not a thing where you're going to be like cognizant of it and be like oh the drugs got me i better snap out of it and cry over my kids no and also he's in shock yeah whether or not it was on purpose you'd still be in shock and you know people question the fact that they weren't able to get the kids out but why did they get out so easy the windshield have you ever been underwater have you ever been underwater yeah and the, the windshield broke so they like they had an yeah. easy exit 
Whereas getting back there to get to the kids while the car is presumably falling, you probably black out for a second. Like everyone wants to think that they would be this super heroic parent in that instance and would definitely be like so immediately focused on breathing. Yeah. Like he said, he just underwater is crazy. He kind of just woke up in the water and was like, whoa, what the fuck? And also, I believe he couldn't swim. I think he mentions that also. Oh, can't imagine. Which like, I don't, it's easy to say yeah, Like, yeah, I would have swung into action and saved my kids. Motherfuckers die trying to save their kids out of a sinking car. Yeah. A car that is sinking to the bottom of a river. Like, I can't guarantee I'd be, I will say the opening imagery is fucking horrible of the stock. Yeah. Yeah. They, have like actual crime scene photos or I, I, I they do be it. showing dead kids yeah accident scene photos I guess and yeah and see I get that part too like there's always this instinctive thing with especially people in this country I can't speak for other countries but probably where if kids die someone has to be brought to justice like someone needs to, Oh be, yeah. Someone, someone needs to be held responsible for this. Yeah. Someone needs to be punished for that. And the public and the media kind of swing into that mode almost immediately after seeing this interview, they're like, no. Nope. Yeah. They like, everyone was like, they get what they deserve. Yeah. P- people are just like, no, nope, I can tell they had something to do with it. Like you see people saying, well, I know how much I would be crying if, I was in this situation and it's like, no, you don't. You absolutely do not. I will say after my mom died and I knew she was going to die, I didn't cry for eight months. Yeah. So there. Yeah, it happens. I brought up because this. Your brain turns off. I'll tell you, you want to cry and it's just not there. Yeah. This came up on the Scott Peterson episode because so much of what got Scott Peterson convicted was this exact same thing where it's like, well, I know how emotional I'd be in that moment. And it's like, no, you fucking you don't. don't. You Your don't brain know sure shuts off you don't entirely as a coping on. mechanism. Yeah. And the, the thing I brought up on that episode was when my grandparents died, my grandfather died first and me and him, like we weren't like, we got close, like in the weeks before he died. Uh, but beyond that, mm. he was a very distant and, kind of cold dude. And I sobbed at his funeral. And then my grandmother mm-hmm. died three months later and she was like my best friend as a kid. And I didn't cry at all. And yeah, here's the thing. That doesn't mean I killed my grandma. It, just no, means it I was, sure doesn't. Yeah. It means I was in shock and I was reacting the way I reacted. Like you can't put that kind of shit on people, especially if it's a matter of Oh, well, you're not crying as much as we want, so you're going to get the death penalty. It's like, no, no, that can't be it. But it is it so many times. It can't be your only form of judgment is, are you crying enough? Yeah. And this really turns into a demeanor conviction kind of thing. And that's when Lawrence Delisle takes this polygraph test, which did no one. When will we stop doing this? Did no one tell Lawrence to get a lawyer? It seems like no one did because there's no way a lawyer no. would have let this happen. But also polygraph tests are so fucking dumb. They're so dumb, but not just that. This one has all the junk science that happens with polygraphs, but with a guy who's being intentionally deceptive 
and manipulative running it. Like he's not just asking questions like this. He's asking leading questions that would make someone think that they're like losing it. And it's a polygraph exam that takes eight hours. And through this whole thing, like you'll even see the guy who gave the polygraph. His name is John Palmatier. He still stands behind all the shit he did. And like you even catch him slipping up. Like there's one part where he's like, well, if you remember, John told me that he was having a really bad day and the kids were screaming in the backseat of the car. And then they cut to that part from the interview or Lawrence. Let me start. Yeah. There's a scene where he's like, well, if you remember, Lawrence tells me in the interview that he was having a really bad day and that the kids were screaming in the back of the car. So maybe he just snapped. And then they cut to that part of the actual interview and it's John Paul Mateer who's like, hey, maybe it was just like a really hot day and you were like having a bad day and the kids were yelling in the back and maybe you just snapped. So he's like even tricking himself. And then he talks about, yeah, he, then he talks about how he snapped on, he wanted to put his daughter in a garbage bag or some yeah. shit. And I was like, this guy's got his own shit going on that he's projecting onto this guy. Yes. And even in that moment, Lawrence Delisle is like, no, like, no, I didn't like, he's like, I have four kids, man. You think a kid screaming in the back seat of my car is going to be enough to make me snap? He's like, you turn the radio up. And meanwhile, yeah. fucking John Paul Mateer has it in his head that Lawrence Delisle admitted to this in their interview. So it's like he's hypnotizing himself. That's how too. long. Yeah. And confused. And, and that's exactly what it is. He just wears him down with all these like leading questions and suggestions that we all have a demon inside us. And it's really fucking gross. And it answers that that dog in me. (laughs) Right. I was born with that hustle in me. And it's it's fucking insane. And it really answers that age old question. People ask, well, why would someone confess to something they didn't do? I don't know, because they get fucking CIA mind tactics used on them. Because you're sitting in a chair for eight hours. And so he, we, we go back and forth with all that. And then I love a moment like this in any of these documentaries. The filmmaker breaks the fourth wall and is just like, hey, but what if the accelerator really was stuck? And John yeah. Palmatier's like, oh, that's what they want you to think. And that's what they want. That's what your, his lawyer would want you to believe. It's like, what? And so then we do talk to the lawyer and he's like, look, the police should have just checked the car. Like the car, if they had looked at the car, they would see that there was a like kink in the accelerator cable and there was like a loose engine mount. And when an engine is loose, it can put pressure on the accelerator cable. And in some cases, cause that car to accelerate. And not only that, this car was known to have those issues. This particular make and model was known to have issues with the accelerator sticking. And they managed to get the actual car up and running again after it had fallen into the river. They managed to get it running again and they do all these tests to see if maybe the accelerator will stick. And it does. It's it's yeah, so like done deal, dude. That should have been fucking it. And everyone ignores that shit, which blows my mind. It's crazy that they ignored like super hard facts just because they had a feeling. 
Like, I don't understand. It's so weird. Happy late New Year, everybody. This is Adam, host of the podcast you're listening to right now. Just dropping in with a word from this week's sponsor, Factor. Have you gotten started on those New Year's resolutions yet? Me neither. But I have good news. You can get started on those resolutions with Factor, so you're ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, the prep work, the cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door with over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. Plus, over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. Head to factormeals.com slash true crime sucks 50. That's five zero, not the word 50, to get 50% off your first order. You can't afford not to try it with savings that huge. That's code true crime sucks 50 at factormeals.com slash True Crime Sucks 50 to get 50% off. And hey, thanks. Let's get back to the show. Speaking of weird, how about that detail where Lawrence's dad had killed himself in that same car? That was so weird. That was so weird. And then they're like, oh, she's a, that they, we called that car Christine. And then the guy that fucking hates him is like, the only Christine was behind the wheel. And I was like, get fucked, buddy. Yeah, fuck both of them. Because that woman, too, you could tell she was so proud of making the absolute most obvious joke you could make about a car where multiple people died behind the wheel. She's such a wiener, like such a touch grass person, pre touch grass era. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're just like obsessed with other people's bullshit business, making up shit where it's like, go outside. Unfortunately she was outside and it's not online, but you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 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 She was, but so she was like, outside just get on a her fucking balcony. Wife, lady. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, sure. It's weird that he kept that car after that, but also poverty is a new car. Yeah, that's the thing. Poverty's a motherfucker. Like this is Detroit, right? Yeah, it's Detroit. And even one of the detectives is like, "Yeah, I mean, maybe he just needed transportation, but there's some things you do for your mental health." And it's like, it's "Okay, like, yeah, you." Yeah, let's blame this dude whose dad committed suicide for keeping the car. And even then, once again, they cut to these interviews with John Palmatier's bitch ass, and he's like. Well, you know, just the kind of the vibes from being in that car, it's going to get in your head. And Lawrence stops him and is like, you are way overestimating how close I was to my father. And like, it could just be that too. He could be like fucking good riddance, dad. Thanks for the car. Now I got a car, bitch. Yeah. Like that's how some people's relationship with their parents works. Dad's notoriously sketchy. And again, has your dad ever killed himself in a car? If not, you don't you have don't any advice how on how be. people would act in that situation. Yeah. But again, that becomes another thing that people are like, oh, that's sus. And it's like, yeah, but did the accelerator stick? Because that's really 
Like, that's the thing. That's how a jury That is, makes it even more likely, I feel like, that the car would be fucked up. Well, it if nothing else, it that fact that the accelerator did stick when they tested it, again, that's that's it. Like that, if the jury system was working the way it should, that's enough reasonable doubt that you can't prove this man for real killed his kids. Like absolutely. And it really exposes one of the big flaws of the jury system, which is that you got to trust that these people aren't lying because again, this had become a big media sensation and they refused to move it to a different venue. So there's all these people on the jury who are like, Oh yeah, I've seen all the media reports about how everyone thinks he's guilty, but, but I can set that aside to make a fair ruling. And it's like, can you? That's not how that works. No, it's absolutely not how it works. And it really is reminiscent of the Scott Peterson trial in that way. Because as big of a media sensation as that trial was, they didn't sequester the jury. They let them go home That's every day. Yeah, they let them go home every night and watch Nancy Grace like convict Scott Peterson on TV and then went back to the jury room and pretended they didn't see any of that. And this really is kind of a precursor to that because the judge seemed like he was going to be cool at first because the judge watches this confession and is like, okay, you cannot use that. You tortured that man into confessing. So that statement gets thrown out, which is great, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what should have happened. But then the media who is so bloodthirsty to prove their point that this guy killed his kids, they start like filing lawsuits to get the judge to release this confession video to the media. And he does it. And so they start Mm -hmm. like cherry picking all the best details and reporting that to the public. And now people are like, oh yeah, well he did it. He's guilty. Uh, I mean, out of eight hours of anything, you could get any perspective that you want out of anything. That's the danger of like Twitch streaming too. Yeah. Is like the people that talk for like forever because you'll out loud say other people's perspective to then make your own point. And that's almost exactly what this is, is he'll repeat stuff back that was just said to him because he's been fucking talking for eight hours. Right. And when you're confused about what you're talking about, because you've been talking about it for eight hours, you're going to repeat back what is being questioned of you to make sure that you understood what was being said. Yeah. So then people can clip that however the fuck they want to make you say whatever you want because you said both sides. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. The media just starts posting these like snippets of an eight hour confession video to be like, see, that thing he said is weird. And it's stuff that's taken way out of context or stuff mm-hmm. that he was clearly coerced into it's saying. It's just like literally clip baiting. Like it's like yeah. the media is going to pick the thing that's going to make you watch the most, period. And yeah, Delisle keeps repeating a thing throughout that is a cornerstone of a coerced confession. He keeps saying, well, I'm going by what you're saying, which means this mm-hmm. cop, whether he wants to admit it or not, has been telling Lawrence Delisle what he thinks happened and then getting Lawrence to like repeat it, but like tricking him into doing it. It's all like, it's all so deceptive and God, Larry needed a fucking lawyer in the room. It's just, it's so abusive to even interrogate someone who's like still in shock for eight hours. Yeah. Um, 
And like, if he did it, sure, that would be a different story. But also, I don't know. It just, it seems like he was so willing to sit there and be talked to. If you were defensive, you would be defensive and not want to be talked to for that long. You know what I mean? Like the fact that he was submissive in it. And they tried to use the opposite argument, which I think is crazy. And they were like, guilty people don't leave. We could tell them they could leave and they won't leave. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think that people who are thinking they're in trouble are not going to leave the room that they're being in trouble in. Yeah. A lot of people really, really, really respect authority to the point that they're not going to leave. And his lawyer brings that up. He's like, how many videos like this have you seen? And he's like, and how many have you seen where the person gets up and leaves? Every time the cops are like, they were free to leave. And it's like, yeah, but are they? They don't say that. Yeah. And so, yeah, this interrogation, it carries on for eight hours. And around the six hour point is where Larry just starts breaking. And his lawyer's like, he is having a nervous breakdown in this moment. And the polygraph guy's like, I think that lawyer's never seen a real nervous breakdown. It's like, shut the fuck up. You're not a doctor. You're a junk science fraud. And so they even suggest that Palmateer is using like hypnotic techniques or hypnosis, Mm -hmm. which I know the jury is out on whether that's a thing, but he's definitely got a cadence to how he's talking. Like he's hammering these same points over and over and over in this guy's head. And I mean, you can plant suggestions in people's heads. That's what MK yes. Ultra was like 50% about. And so like that is some evil shit. Like that is some MK Ultra shit to be like, oh, you know what I do for a living? I fucking hypnotize innocent people into confessing to crimes so the cops don't have to do any actual work. It's like you should be in prison too also. Yeah. Like there's a long yeah, list mean, of people featured in true crime. to me is fraud. Dogs. Yeah. Is that not fraud? And also like I've said it so many times, like you can, no matter what side of a criminal case you're on, you can find a doctor who says the evidence leans toward your side or the other. And it's always, like, and it's like, man, one of them's lying and one of them should probably go to jail. Like this should be Mm -hmm. the criminal justice system should be a way more higher stakes thing than it is. Like the people, there should just be so much more checks and balances. There's simply not. And also everything is so like, well, the rules say, and uh, the rules should be saying stuff, but it's also situationally based. Like every situation is different and should be looked at differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know how, but we got to fix the jury system. Like it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a we got to fix every system. Let's start over. This shit sucks. Yeah. This like after he, we've kind of touched on this already, but once they coerce that confession out of him, it's well time to go to trial. And this is where you see all of the trial by media stuff and how it really does. Like this is, I mean, 89, it's not that much earlier than like Pamela smart, which I think might've also been like 88, 89. But it's just on such a like local scale, which you see that a lot. You see that a whole lot with more vintage documentaries or things that cover older crimes is that thing where the media will just focus on one thing they've heard and decide that person is guilty. It's been happening for a long, long time. It sucks. Yeah. Excuse me. And like the amount of influence media has over crimes, I don't think should be 
be the way it, it is. Like, I just don't feel like people should be able to like clip, clip you in a way that's contextually nonsense. But I don't know how that checks and balances would work either. Cause at the same time, I want people to be able to discuss whatever's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. So I don't know what the answer is for that. I feel like ultimately media should be just, uh, I guess it, it just used to be that people did journalism so differently. And yeah. then when it became super corporatized, it's just about the dollar signs. So of course, anything that you do is just the most attention grabbing thing you can do. Yeah. And that, and a lot of journalism has turned into, instead of like questioning the government or your local elected officials, you just get this unprecedented access to them where if any kind of scandal breaks, any news comes out, you're just going to go to them and be like, is this true? And when they say no, you're going to be like, well, we asked the government and they denied this. And it's like, you are not doing a journalism right now. You are being a mouthpiece. And there are a lot more mouthpieces than there are journalists in this country right now. I would say majority. And also, I just really don't know what the answer is to this other than maybe perhaps that uh, views should not equal dollar signs, I guess, perhaps. Yeah. Because like the more eyes on something does not make it truer or more valuable. Right. The more eyes on something, usually the more tragic and potentially untrue and layered in uh, horrifying greed. Yeah. And I wouldn't be mad at some sort of law where if the police disclose something about a person who's on trial and that jeopardizes their ability to have a free and fair trial. Sorry, that person has to be found not guilty. Like there has to be, because that's what you see in so many of these cases. And I keep going back to Scott Peterson because I do think he was one of, he's probably the most prominent example where you can't be like, Hey, whoever might have his wife, this guy's alibi is that he was fishing in San Francisco Bay. Like, that makes it really easy to decide where to dump that body if you've kidnapped someone and are perhaps holding them or if you've already killed them and are unsure as to where to dump the body. The police are essentially saying, well, we know if a body washes up here that Scott Peterson did it. And it's like, no, you've already told whoever might have done it where to put that body. Like you can't, yeah, you can't publicize shit like that. You and just then it, told everyone how to frame them. Yeah, exactly. And Like the police shouldn't be allowed to do that kind of shit in the long, long list of things police should not be allowed to do releasing information about people who are under investigation because they got a hunch. No, that I don't care if the person did it or not. They should not be found guilty in that sitch. And this guy shouldn't have been found guilty. Because like group mind also will ruin you. Like if, if, if everyone in your life thinks that you did something that you didn't do, rarely are you going to still stand by what you you think, oh, it must be me. Yeah. And yeah, in this case, like, again, I keep talking about the jury system, but they very, very much cross-examine this one detective. And Lawrence Delisle's lawyer is like, so you did, he, he did tell you it seemed like something was stuck, right? And the guy's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, you did tests on the car and the accelerator stuck when you did those tests? And he's like, yep, sure. And the jury just like completely ignores that. The media completely ignores that. Takes none of Which that shit like into account. Fundamentally, the most 
true thing we have about the whole thing. It is the definition of reasonable doubt is what it, it is. It is the definition of it happened that it got stuck. Yeah. And like, how would you have ever, this guy wouldn't have the foresight. This dude did not have the foresight to plan the accelerator kink fucking. He didn't even know about the pool of blood in the bottom of the car. That was from his dad killing himself. How would he have ever even, you know, it just is stupid. And again, I I say this all the time, true crime fans, and especially like people like Nancy Grace, like people on true crime episodes love to be like, in my world, there's no such thing as a coincidence. And it's like, okay, so this guy- There is though. So this guy who is driving a car with a flaw that makes the accelerator stick, completely unbeknownst to him- He knows nothing about that issue with his car. He separately decides the best way for me to kill my kids is to accelerate this car into the river with my foot on the accelerator all the way into the water. Because that's another thing. The witnesses are like, yeah, that engine kept revving even when he was airborne. And it's like, that's because the accelerator was obvious. And it's like, how big is that in terms of coincidence? This guy had a car with that flaw, but also decided, no, I'm just going to gun this accelerator. There's no such thing as a coincidence. Yeah, there sure is. There absolutely is such a thing as coincidence. And also when people are saying there's no such thing as coincidence, they really more frequently are saying that everything happens for a reason. And I don't even think that that's necessarily true. We live in a reasonless world. And also the sentiment of everything happens for a reason is just that you're supposed to take all of the bad things that happen in your life as learning experiences. And that has become some weird commodified saying that has turned into a whole spiral of everyone not knowing what the fuck they're ever talking about because they think everything is has some purpose. Yeah. And I'm going to keep bringing this example up because I'm trying to do the same thing cops do. And I'm hypnotizing everyone into seeing things my way. But if you think if you think coincidences don't exist, please take this example into account. The Clinton body count conspiracy that claims Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton have had dozens and dozens of people around them killed to keep their secrets safe. One of them claims that this guy who killed himself was actually killed by the Clintons because that guy's wife was going to testify about Bill Clinton groping her in his office. And you know, that's not what happened. Because Bill Clinton was groping her in his office at the same time the guy killed himself. So Bill Clinton's not going to have that kind of fucking foresight to know that, oh shit, I'm touching a butt. You better go out and kill this woman's husband. But people use that connection and they're like, see, it's a mysterious death. And it's like, it's weird timing, but. Have you considered that maybe he killed himself because he knew his wife was getting groped by the president? Yeah, maybe. You never know. But either way. Whoa! Maybe that's a really sad existence. (laughs) Coincidences sure do happen. And yeah, this is another tragic example of someone who's, I don't think this guy's getting out. Like he was sentenced to life in prison, I do believe. All of his appeals have been exhausted. We find that out at the end. And it's like, he didn't do it. He didn't fucking do it. Yeah. They had me at the beginning, which was really well done, I think. I was like, wait, did he, though? Because everyone's so up their own butt about it. Yeah. 
I just also think, ooh, and this is a very Los Angeles thing too, because even though it's a huge city, it really do act like a small town when anybody's got anybody, anything to say about anybody, everybody's going to talk and anyone in anyone community, in any community is ready to gossip about anything because everyone's fucking bored and everyone's lives are sad and they want to talk about something sadder so that they can feel better about themselves. Yeah. I know as somebody who's had tons of rumors spread about me that just fucking people love to fucking talk. All that it does for me is make me more famous because I'm not a murderer, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's just people love to run their mouths about anything they can run their mouths about because their lives are fucking boring. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And that, man, that's kind of the foundation of true crime. Oof. Mm Mm-hmm. It is a a whole lot of uh, finding entertainment in people's suffering. I think that's one of the earliest forms of entertainment is probably like in humanity is, huh, who's being bad in our group right now? That's what there probably was originally to talk about. Who's being the worst? Yeah. So we can eliminate who's the worst and keep moving towards being better. And that's growth. Okay, great. But- (laughs) To get there, it's a lot of obsessing over who's bad. And not even to say that that's always a bad thing, because I do think that gossip can frequently help people. And that in places where gossip is more culturally accepted, there's a lot less crime. But because of the the system that we have in place, too much influence is placed on that gossip by people that are in authority. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I there's one more detail that just really frustrates me. And that is the judge's opening statement where this man has just been sentenced to like five life sentences for killing his kids. And at the sentencing in his opening statement, the judge is like, you know, I'm not sure if this guy's guilty. And it's like, but you're going to sentence him to life in prison anyway. And it's, I don't buy the idea that, well, that's what the jury said. Motherfucker, you can send that jury back and be like, do better. It's a crazy, uh, it's just like the classic not doing your job moment. Yeah. Because it's a lot less work for him to just agree. Yeah, for him to just be like, oh, yeah, well, that's what the jury said. I guess I'm stuck with it. As You're- it turns out, court accomplished. <laughs> and so much stuff like this also centers around people just not wanting to be wrong and not wanting to admit that maybe their hunch was incorrect and maybe they sent an innocent person to prison. Like that's why I always bring up that prosecutors who, if it can be proven that they knowingly sent an innocent person to prison just to like cover their reputation or because they owed a judge a favor or just because of a grudge, they should go to prison too. Like you should absolutely, that should be hanging over your head. If you're just going to be this cavalier about sending people to prison forever because you don't want to look bad in the public eye, you don't want to admit you were wrong, you should rot in prison also. You shouldn't get the death penalty. I'm opposed to the death penalty, but you should go spend the rest of your fucking days in prison. Because you're just willing to ruin anybody else's life. Yeah. Just so like, why is that not a punishable crime? And there are absolutely cases where it's been proven that that happened. And like, no one ever goes to jail. Like, you never hear about prosecutors. Again, no checks and balances within the system you never hear about prosecutors getting prosecuted and there are many 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 who should 
Also, Nancy Grace, even though she's not a prosecutor anymore. She should be in prison. Yeah, fuck her. Yeah, she should be in jail. So A lot of those hoes should be in jail. Yeah, yeah, that whole trial by media industry that popped up in the 90s is pretty fucking gross. And it is a dark moment in this country that I feel like doesn't happen quite as much anymore. We literally just did one. We literally just did Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. We just did that. Okay, yeah, yeah, that definitely that. But I mean like murder stuff, I guess. Like, oh, you don't see. Well, maybe we're due for one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there was like Chris Watts, but that wasn't, there was no trial by media to that. That guy confessed like they got him in a room for like 14 minutes and he was like, all right, I did it. Jesus. (laughs) He was like, please stop talking to me. Yeah. But yeah, I can't think of the last one. Like I know like Scott Peterson, Michael Peterson, although that one wasn't really on my radar. I think that was more of a local thing, but yeah, I can't think of one either, but I'm sure it happens, but I don't know. Yeah. And it shouldn't. And this case is a good example of why, because I really don't think this guy intentionally drove his kids into that river, but no, he also had no motive at all. No. He didn't. And I do think a lot of it, again, comes down to the fact that when children die, there's just going to be a segment of this country who expects someone to go to prison for that. Got to place blame. We love place blame. We're a very blame placing society. And I am tired of it. I feel like everybody, even on like a relationship, interpersonal level, is so fucking blame game E. And I'm not about that shit. And that sort of comes up at the end where I think it's his lawyer is like, yeah, people were looking for someone to blame. And how fun is it to blame an inanimate object like a car? Like that's not, I mean, I guess car's not inanimate, but that's the phrase he used, like cars move. But he's like, what fun is that when you could blame a person and like send a person to prison? Like that's way more emotionally satisfying than being like, oh yeah, yeah, I think that car just fucked up. What a tragedy. It's more bait. Yeah. Yeah. And it speaks to make you feel triggered, to make you feel invested. And it speaks to that thing again, where people, people are like, well, yeah, even if the accelerator was stuck, I know what I would have done. Once I hit that water, I would have saved all four of my kids. And it's like, you don't know the logistics of that. That's a, that's an escape room. You've never been in. Like, you don't, you don't know what kind of time you're going to have to react. Being underwater is so scary. Yeah. You can't breathe. Yeah. And like, again, if the guy couldn't swim, like, is that what he's in prison for, for not knowing how to swim? It seems like it. Like, it sounds like we need to have a mass swimming mandate. Yeah. In this country, you must know how to swim if you're going to drive a car. That's the solution. I mean, don't get me wrong. People should know how to swim just for your I own, agree. own personal shit. Like know how to swim. Also, maybe cars should have an emergency stop. Yeah. Like pull. Like I just also am so anti car. (laughs) Fucking hate cars. I talk about that shit all the time. I fucking hate cars. Well, you're in the right city. Uh, no, (laughs) I'm not. I hate cars so much. I don't know how we're still doing cars. After all of the, after all of the advancements we've advanced, we're still doing fucking cars. It's because gas, but yeah, because we want to just suck the earth's resources and charge everyone for it. Yeah. We want, 
we want to drink that oil while it's available to drink. We want to pollute. Like cars are truly the one of the biggest problems I think that we have as society. I think that cars are fucking horrible. Cars and cigarettes, I would argue also. Get oh, you think because of pollution? No, I think because they kill people. Like they kill like 400,000 mm. people a year in this country. And we're like, ah, but big tobacco. Like, it have been for so long. It's yeah. fucking weird. It's like if a pickle brand popped up tomorrow and started killing hundreds of thousands of people, we'd be like, get those pickles off the goddamn market. Ugh, it like does hurt me that I like, it makes me sad that I ever smoked cigarettes. I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah. So I, much money. I, yeah. I spent way too much money on nicotine. Oof. But anyway, I think that's our episode. I think we can agree. This guy shouldn't be in prison, but he's going to be forever. And that fucking sucks. Uh, Do you think he still is? They showed him at the end. I'm pretty sure. I didn't remember that. They were also interviewing him from prison. Let me just double check and make sure. But That's like so sad to just sit and wonder. Like, because he's probably just like, did I do it? Yeah. Oh, God. Worst life. Worst life award. Oh, the last time his court, his case went to an appeal, the court of appeal split with eight judges voting to affirm the conviction and seven voting to grant a new trial. And, uh, horrible. The ones who wanted him to have a fair trial, their opinion was that the lower coat, lower court quote, actively and intentionally fostered the unfair publicity by releasing the inadmissible confession to the media. Yep. That is the, almost yeah. the entire point of the documentary. And as but of, he's still in jail as of October 18th, 2022 Delisle remains incarcerated at Lakeland correctional facility in Coldwater, Michigan. And yeah, even that though, so sick. even though those seven appeals court judges all agreed that he should get a new trial, eight didn't. So there's your justice, everybody. Cool. Oof. That is, uh, it's, it's rough. This whole series, I, there was one episode that is actually the two part first episode. That's the only one where initially when I watched this, I was like, I think those kids might be guilty. But then we also covered that episode again for this podcast pretty early on. And now it's just more police shenanigans. I don't think anyone featured on this show was guilty. But people should, it's a good, it's a very good documentary series. There's two seasons of it. There's seven episodes first season and I think five the second season. I don't know what happened there. COVID maybe. Who knows? Mm. But uh, that is our episode. Jen, thank you so much. Thank you. What do we have to plug before we get out of here? There's shirts for sale. Jen, shirts for sale, baby. Jen Scott drew up a Mothman and we put it on a pretty scary shirt. That you can get as a pre-sale item through the end of the month. Uh, go to youdontshow.link slash store. You can find that shirt and some other cool stuff that as we record this and as you are listening is still on sale. Got a little sale going. So go check all that out. Get it. Get it while it's good. Get it. Jen, what do you got to plug? Oh, I'm just working on my hour. I'm going to be streaming more on Twitch. So follow me there. Just follow me everywhere. Do whatever I say, you know. The usual. The huge. And let's get the fuck out of here. Jen, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.